You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Aprom Kipolevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Shalom. This is Standing in Two Worlds with Dr. Sam Juni in Yerushalayim and uh, Before we started recording, um, Dr. Juni uh, allayed my fears that, uh, that despite what we're hearing here in the, the headlines, of unrest and rocket fire. Sounds like Yerushalayim, Oyum Kemen Hagei Noyeg, Eretz Yisrael, is used to this. Obviously, the news uh, gets a premium, uh, Sam, out of uh, uh, scaremongering, making us feel yep. that, that bad stuff is on the way. One thing that we know is on the way that uh, uh, is not going to change, of course, this year. We have Shavuos coming up uh, just in a couple of days. Um, I, I want to uh, approach it uh, this discussion with you uh, in an area for to mine an area which I think you are quite familiar with. But let me just first say this. We know that what's become the mitzvah of Shuas, and uh, again, I have my own uh, critique of this, what's become the mitzvah of Shuas for many, especially young men, uh, is to stay up all night, is to dedicate a whole night of study. And it's based on passages from the Zohar, but it's also been ensconced in, 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 in halachic works. And both you and I grew up probably um, being in yeshivas and places where it was obviously understood you're going to stay up all night and what did you do all night and, 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 and the fervor of, of the yeshiva student. But it's also really spread beyond the world of the yeshivas and it's sort of expected. Um, I have to tell you, when I was growing up in, in Memphis, Tennessee, in, in a small shul there, and maybe your wife's uh, memories of Charleston are similar. <laughs> I don't remember too many people or anyone really burning the midnight oil and staying up late. But it's, I think it's come in the last 30 years, 30, 40 years. It's become pretty uh, universal. So I really want to talk to you not about that custom, which I think needs to be tweaked and changed. I want to talk to you in general, since this is what many people are going to be doing. Let's talk about sleep deprivation. Let's talk about the purpose of sleep as well. Um, you've talked about all-nighters that you've done, and we've all done it in our youth. But let me ask you, from, from your perspective, this mystery of sleep. Uh, obviously, the body can't needs to, to refuel. The body needs to stop. But what goes on during sleep is much more than uh, recharging your, your cell phone. There's other things that's going on there uh, during sleep. Um, and I know that you've studied aspects of it. And I also want you to talk about, surprise, uh, the necessity or the, the, the way you understand what's happening in terms of the dreams that occur during sleep. And talk about what will happen if a person limits his sleep uh, and, 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 and adopts a lifestyle where he isn't sleeping enough. How do you think that can affect him physically, of course, but also from a psychological perspective? Okay. So let, let me clear the physical out of the way and say that it's totally not my expertise to talk about the physical um, um, repercussions of, of not having, not so much not having sleep, but not having REM, which is rapid eye movement, which is associated with certain kinds of um, brain reparative activities. Um, it, it, it can be quite deadly. It, uh, deadly, I mean, it can be quite harmful to people. And the people who know about circadian rhythms, I mean, that's the specialty. It's not my specialty at all. As you say, I'm interested much more in the psychological processes, and particularly in the uh, processes that uh, lead people um, uh, even towards the psychotic realm that has to do with sleep deprivation. So I can talk about that um, quite um, um, knowledgeably, okay? Um, and even there, I'd rather stay away from the physiology, but speak about the lambda, speak about the uh, psychodynamic interpretations of what goes on with, with dreaming in general. Everybody knows that Freud dabbled a lot with dreams, although he did it non-empirically, but he had quite a few insights into the dream process and what its function is for people. Why does it appear at all? So uh, when you look at, at dreaming, um, dreaming, when you try to describe it honestly. And many people have learned to report very honestly on dreams. Um, these are trained professionals to get trained, that, that, that learn the techniques of how to describe it. It really is quite a regressive um, um, process that goes on. In other words, if whatever happens in the dream would happen to you in your waking state, 
you would basically be psychotic because things change form, things are what they're not, things multiply, your identities change, times change, you do time travel, you become something else, you become something that's not alive, that is alive. I mean, those of us who are familiar with what a dream is, when the next time when you pinch yourself in the middle of a dream, you'll say, hey, this does not make any sense. All right? And it doesn't make sense. So what is it, basically? It is reflective of what your uh, true template of thinking looks like, which is the, uh, some people would put it at six months, um, brain development. Some people go so far as say, is it even prenatal, which I think is a, a mistake, but I would say not older than age two for sure. And if you talk, let's say, to a normal, sane two-year-old, the ideas about reality testing are not very much out there. And I would say, yeah, sure, I can be a pilot, I can really fly. Um, I've had some real bad clinical cases where some kids actually did things that were extremely dangerous because they hold on reality when that well. Problem is when this past age two, it gets problematic. But a two-year-old, yeah, so he thinks he can fly, he thinks he can do magic, he thinks he can... Uh, will something to happen by thinking of it, etc., or that terrible things happen because he thought of something, that's commonplace enough. And what I'm trying to say is that developmentally speaking, that is the template of where it's all about. And then we start getting educated and we got get, start getting socialized and we learn to censor a lot of those things that no, 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 that doesn't happen. Um, you can't think this, you can't possibly have those lurid, horrible fantasies of, of killing someone or taking your mother or putting, in, putting her into the blender just because she won't give you your bottle when you want it. That doesn't happen, right? So we get socialized away. But the, the theory, the, the, the um, core psychodynamic theory of thought is that the basic template is not the adult way of thinking. It is the regressed way of thinking. And when you look at the dream process, which we are programmed, at least those of us who don't have disturbances of circadian rhythm, we are programmed to go back to it several hours each 24 hours. It almost sounds like you have to go back to refresh your batteries, to go back to your basis of what you're all about. So really, dream, if you want to define that operationally, is a way of going back to our source and almost paying our homage, paying our dues to our foundational way of thinking, which of course from an adult perspective is regressed or nonsensical, but we obviously have to go back in order to make it again. It's almost like saying, look, um, nobody will say that going to the bathroom is an important part of our daily lives, but we got to go. We got to go. And if you don't go, you're going to fall apart. So So, no, that's the main thing, but obviously you have to kind of refresh your battery or go back to your basic needs. So I'm going back to your basic going back to the basic mentality or yes. perspective of a two-year-old. So we yes. all, in a way, although the dreams can be very sophisticated and include elements of a very They're, mature mind, but... The, word is, the dreams are dressed up. The yes. dreams are dressed up by us because it makes no sense. Like you sit there, even though you're dreaming, you still are not going to go ahead and, and go ahead and murder your wife and kids and whatever, right? Even in the dream, you have a certain amount of control. So... Part of you, which is the ego, almost the observer on what's going on, saying, no, we got to dress this up. I can't just go back to two. I'm going to be a two-year. I'm going to be like a 14-year-old using two-year-old tools. It's dressed up. But the basic process, any two-year-old will recognize. Now, it's when we call these things distractors of a dream when we analyze them. It's very easy. Dreams are very simple and basic, and they're almost like six or seven sets that almost everybody has. And then they get dressed up with who knows what, with computers, with, with, with sophistication, with philosophy, with Socrates, with Freud, with going to work and responsibility to family. But it boils down, basically, I want my bottle. I don't have it. Damn you. I hate that very much. I so, love you so much. I don't want to share you. A couple of seven basic templates you got made. So that's the dream. So let's talk, you know, and I'm sure this is a, a, a huge area that you could probably pontificate and talk about and, 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 and probably give us a lot of good fodder for our dreams to come. But, what <laughs> would, but let me ask you, if, if a person, um, and I've heard this from friends of mine, that they dream less or they remember their dreams the less vividly as they age. Um, is, does this sound right to you? That people are, uh, and then I've heard the opposite. I've heard that when they were younger, um, they weren't so affected by dreams, but as they got older, um, their, their sleep was, 
was was constantly uh, distressed by dreams that, that, that of course has taken on this term called nightmare. Does that make sense to you that in one hand, there's a phenomenon of people who say, well, I used to be able to remember my dreams. Now I'm not exactly sure. It's all just a vague blur when I wake up. And there's others that say, I've been I've been suffering, you know, as they've gotten older, the dreams have increased and the the the, the sense of dread and, and 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 difficulty of the dreams. Does that sound like opposite phenomena to you or do they both make sense? Okay, let me just give you a a a a bird's eye view of this. Um everybody has access to their dreams. I train my patients, I would say I need less than an hour training for them to get access to their needs, I, to their dreams. I am not saying it's a good idea. The fact that we don't usually remember our dreams and we knock them out of our heads is functional. In other words, it's not a good idea for anybody to realize that in their basis, they are animals. In other words, if somebody does something wrong to you in your fantasies, you want to take them and when chop them up and put them in the blender and, 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 and kill their dog and their chickens and all their neighbors. This is what a one-year-old would do, and that's what a one-year-old fantasizes when their slightest need is frustrated, all right? We get socialized away from that, part of the major socializations by the ego, who has a major tool called repression. We forget it. We knock it out of our minds. The, the, any psychoanalyst can dig these things up pretty fast or help any patient or any person dig it up fast, but it's not a good idea. The fact that it's repressed is for good reason so that we can go on being our sanctimonious um, developed, sophisticated adults who deal with things like Musser or helping other people or whatever else we do, you know, having a good job, coming up with a good computer, coming up with a great way to bomb people, sophisticated human human ideas. But repression is very functional. It's functional in daily life. Whenever something comes up that you're not pleased with, you won't be able to live the whole day knowing that your wife is upset with you. Your kids are disappointed. Other things are happening. You won the lo- you didn't lose the lottery. You failed to get tenure. Um, you're going to be embarrassed by your neighbor for not remembering what Omer it is. Whatever. All those things are distressing. We repress them. We get rid of them. And ditto, or not ditto, maybe even uh, a fortiori, a kalvachomer, when you're dealing with a dream, which is really talking about basic stuff, which is not very complimentary to you as a normal adult, we say, okay, that's childish stuff. I want to repress it. We can. I can train people very easily to unrepress it, but I would say do that within a comprehensive psychotherapy or psychoanalysis. So, don't, don't, go, don't go where your natural good senses say, stay away, I want to forget it. So, so the phenomenon of people saying that they have reached a point where they don't remember their dreams really uh, indicates an advancement in this repressive ability. Yes, that so, means that everything is functioning well and whatever is not appropriate based on the ego. Of course, certain people's egos are warped, but uh, most people's egos, it's, it's not appropriate. It doesn't help me in my daily functioning. I want to repress it, but I can't ignore it altogether. So I will pay my dues every night, a couple of minutes, a couple of hours. And those of us who are into dream analysis, it's repetitive. It's the same stuff again and again. Freud used to call it, if it happens in daily life, he called it OCD. He called it the repetition compulsion. But a dream is a repetition compulsion. It's the same, the same scenario. I'm going somewhere and oops, I forgot to put on my pants. So, Kefela, so, so the, again, it doesn't end. So the, the so person who... Have to visit it. We have to pay it homage. We have to realize that it is an important dynamic in our life. But there's no way we'll attend to it in our daily life. And daily life, I am busy going to Davin to learn to argue with people. That's what I do all day. So would you say, Sam, that a person who, uh, as they're aging or as they're advancing, says that now my dreams are really uh, hurt, uh, are, 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 are demonizing yeah. me, is th- what, yeah. is that in- what is that an indication of? That, that means... That means that repression is not working properly and the stuff is leaking in and I'm feeling terrible about something that I keep battling with in the unconscious and it's time to go to Juni or it's time, I'm just going to do the diagnosis, it's time to go to a psychoanalyst who will help work out what's eating away at you. And the ultimate thing is that what's eating away at you is a shtus from an from a adult perspective, but for a two-year-old, for instance, a classic example that's come up a lot. 
if you have a death that happens to somebody dear in your family when you're a little boy or a little girl, you blame yourself for it because you're omnipotent. Obviously, it happened because of you because the whole world goes around you. So what do you do feeling that you killed grandma? You stole a cookie and you killed your grandmother. That's a terrible thing to live with. Put it away. It's ridiculous. You can live with that for a long time, possibly, but at some point it might erupt saying, Ive, especially if you feel guilty about other things you're doing in your adult life that you're trying to put away, this gets coalesced. And now this is the guilt button that's getting pushed that's saying, I'm getting through, I'm getting through to you. And you might say, no, the real thing that's bothering is what you did in adult life. And this is only a, an indication or a template or a sermon. It makes no difference. But that topic is saying, I am no longer willing to be put under the carpet. It stinks here. I'm festering, maggots are coming out, we have to deal with this. And this is a signal by the ego saying, hey, we're getting there. It's the same kind of signal in adult life sometimes when people develop psychotic symptoms. That's not dreamy related at all. At some point, you start imagining you're Jesus, or you start imagining that you're a horrible person that deserves to die, which makes no sense. That's, again, stuff coming from under the carpet. It's different facets of the same phenomenon, which is that repression is not working well. And I would also say that if someone remembers no dreams at all, that means that there's a real force of repression there and that something is really bothersome. And I would most of the stuff, fine, you manage to repress. But if something doesn't come through at all, that's like saying, I eat anything I want to and I never get hungry, I never get thirsty. Something is wrong. Something is, it's, it's a natural phenomenon. And again, it's there, it's supposed to be in moderation, but disturbances in sleep on the physiological side, that has to do with circadian rhythms or the lack of certain kinds of brain waves. But on, this, on the psychoanalytic side, it has to do with the fact that there are certain underlying feelings that you're not managing to um, manage properly. So a person who's for, who says, I can't remember any of my dreams and walks Let around, him. walks around. $400 and a half hour, I'll teach him how to do it. $400. So, and I don't advise it. I do not advise it. But you do, Right. But again, if the person says, I can't remember a thing, I wake up every morning, you, you would say that's an indicator of a problem. Yes. Right? It's an indicator of an issue that is no longer um, possible to just put to the side. Something has to be touched on because otherwise something should leak through. I mean, you wake up sometimes, you don't know what it is, but you wake up sometimes with a resolve to do something or just a feeling things are going to work out well or not going to work out well. That's the leftovers of the message, so to speak. In other words, you wouldn't want the content, but we want the message. If no message comes through at all, something something needs to be, um, we call it titrated. It has to be adjusted. So even though he walked, this person, he or she walks around happy and, and in a good state of mind, but when you ask about dreams, I don't remember anything. This, you would say the person needs some help, <laughs> right? Uh, well, it depends. Needs in terms of being an, an ideally adjusted person. I wouldn't say need that if otherwise he's going to go ahead and have a nervous breakdown or he's going, I don't know, I can't say that. But in other words, the person is has lost touch. They've lost the, the almost they've lost their makar. They've converted, you know, they've grown up Hindu all their life and all of a sudden they're chassid and be'sharim. Hey, you can't just do that. You have to maintain something to your roots. You well, can't stay there. well, let's talk about you know we we you know I again I start this about shuvas being a night when you give up your sleep. Um, mm-hmm. What about people? And, and and you talk about you know what what happens the importance of of dreaming. What about a, a person who um, uh, is somehow always uh, asleep? A person you know we find this with our teenage kids, and some of it is because the growth spurts and the hormonal changes somehow take such a toll of the body that the body somehow slumps. But what about if it's past that time? Uh, kids who seem to be constantly searching for places to drop, to nod off. Kids in their mid-20s or even 30s or adults who seem to really just crave to just get back into bed and sleep. Um, okay. you know, again, what, what about that? Now, I'll give you two approaches. The physiological answer is that they are not getting sleep. And if they are getting sleep, they're not getting REM. That's physiological. In other words, you need that REM in order to rejuvenate your brain cells, literally, and you're not getting for whatever reason. Often, it's that they're up late at night texting. Sometimes there's actual, especially in adults, and adults who start getting into the senior levels, there's a disturbance in the circadian rhythm. 
It doesn't work. It's like being jet-lagged all the time. That's one interpretation. The other interpretation is that functionally, it's like someone who craves LSD, who craves uppers, who craves downers. That means that they basically um, are avoiding whatever it is dreaming is to them, and then they just crash and need it so much. It's almost like not having drunk for a long time and becoming dehydrated and then drinking like a mishavener. So it's a deprivation, either physiologically, you can look at it from one lens, or you can look at it psychologically. They, in other words, they need this regressive state. They can't deal with whatever is going on around them. They need instead of, it's like a broken phone that the battery is dying. Instead of taking just two hours to charge up, it takes 14 hours to charge up. So if, if, if we find one of our children or, or someone around us, a spouse, that seems to be craving sleep more... They're probably, the, the first solution is they're probably on the computer all night and you don't realize it. Or texting or on the phone or I don't know. I mean, in my case, in, I remember my kids in the olden days, it was reading with the flashlight under the cover because I said you have to go to sleep and they had to finish the books. That's the, the simplest diagnosis. But from a, psych, if from a psychodynamic point of view, if that's not what's going on, that means you basically you can't face the music you want to go back to some simpler things of you know yes no big little hate love you know the basic issues so in a way in both cases really uh, you'd probably want to have a a professional involved as far as that goes um definitely now let's talk about and again if a person has and, and we you know we talk about striving to reach spiritual levels we know that um you know, the Rambam, uh, who was a physician, of course, writes about the idea of an eight-hour uh, sleep night. And he talks about how eight hours is what a normal person should have, is get this eight hours. And I think maybe scientific research has, or medical research has uh, corroborated that fact. Maybe it's maybe less. It, adjusted the, it adjusted the numbers some, but yes, the concept is there that you should have a, um, well, it's closer to seven these days, according to the numbers. Yes, with the understanding, by the way, that it differs based on age. Younger children need more, older older people need less. But yes, there is a certain kind of quantum that's yeah, a requirement. Right. So what would you say if someone um, in his spiritual striving moves away from the rational medical view of the Rambam and goes towards what we know in the yeshiva world. And the Vilna Gon supposedly was famous for, for saying that, you know, I could get by with, you know, much, much less. And, and, and we know from in the Lithuanian world, there is an idea of you can push yourself. Now, just not on Shulis night, but you're going to have a Seder, you're going to have a, a Seder after Marv, let's say in the yeshiva system, where they dive in Marv at 10 o'clock or something like that. And Marv's over about 10, 15, 10, 20. No, nope, you have a Seder after Marv till 12. And then you have another thing to one. And, and it's expected to, and, and all your friends are doing that as well. So now, and now you're discovering that, you know, that this is the time you should, uh, your, your, your social group is doing this and you join that. Or maybe even if it's not your social group, you've read about that. Would you say that that itself is uh, something to be worried about? If someone wants to shift from, his seven, eight hour uh, night to shift to a um, four or five hour night uh, because it seems like there's plenty of uh, yeshiva that that seems to be the norm. Um, and, 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 and people are able to somehow do that. They're able to stay up till late and, and still get up and, and have five and a half or five hours. Would you say that this is a dangerous phenomenon or something like that? So let me just first say, people like the Vilna Gaon are the nemesis of most of us. In other words, there are definitely exceptions around. There are people who need less sleep, and there are people who need more sleep. I'll be talked, of course, developmentally, age-wise, but even within any age group, there are exceptions. The problem here is as follows. Um, We know if we're not totally oblivious to our bodies, okay, to signals, we know when we're tired. We know when we need sleep. We know when we need to eat. We know when we need to drink. Again, again, when you get older, some of those cues disappear, unfortunately. Like they say, people who are older get dehydrated quickly because they don't have an acute sense of thirst, even though the body is supposed to give you a signal. Okay? So now, here's the thing. If you are in touch with your body, if you know when you're that tired that I need to sleep, if you know that my thought processes are not clear, then it's fine to say I can keep going 
until my body tells me differently. I just spoke to a colleague of mine because I have insomnia, as many people my age do. And I asked him, wait, you're texting me two in the morning, four in the morning, four at night. When do you sleep? He says, oh, I sleep when I'm tired. I mean, he literally gets to sleep when he's tired and I believe him. But that's not the case with many people. My mother proudly told me that her father used to learn sometimes right through the night. He would be standing one foot on a chair where the Gemara was resting. His other foot was without shoes in a pail of cold water. Eh, I don't like it. It doesn't sound that because the body is saying, I need to go to sleep, which means probably his mind is saying, hey, my brain cells are getting fried here. I need to get it. And you're not in touch with that. So when you have social um, um, pressures to do something, most people are going to suffer because they feel they have to ignore the message. It's like saying, okay, I need to eat and I'm going to be a massage of myself. I'm going to fast. It doesn't sound right. I mean, you do it one day. Okay. You do it 40 days like uh, our Arab cousins over in Ramadan. I don't think that's very good for the body. It doesn't work very right, But well you realize both of us come from, and, and you talk we, from a, a, a place where we are, we realize the enormity, the immensity of the knowledge base and and we are somehow said if we don't limit our sleep if we don't somehow push ourselves and feel we can get by on four and a half or five hours we're not going to be able to get all this learning into our head and i i think that's what you know you know rebel yoshev till he was and again we talk about the vilna who was 200 years ago and more rebel yoshev who was just still in many people only you know that died about 10 years ago Rebel Yoshev, even into his 90s, close to even, I think, even in his hundreds, uh, would basically have the same Seder, which was four hours of sleep. He, uh, I, 10.30, 10.30, he, he would, by 11, he'd be asleep. He'd wake up every morning at 2 and start his day by 2.15, 2.30, and that was it. That, that was, he, he was consistent that way for, you know, 50 or 60 years. Um, so I- that unless he had his mind on autopilot, there's no way he could bear the true sophistication that he carried during sleep deprivation. In other words, it has to interfere. Now, you might say it's worth the balance. At least I will cover all this ground and perhaps with 70% or 40% of my uh, incisive ability rather than covering very little and uh, and doing it with a more uh, uh, um, intense acumen. But I have to say, there has to be a payoff. You don't have the sophistication unless you have a very simplistic um, notion saying that knowledge just means just accumulating some facts and going on. And perhaps you can do that with a uh, less sophisticated or more shallow and the analytic approach, but I don't see it. And again, that might be that these people, they became sages or they became icons precisely because they did not need sleep. Maybe they needed I would tend to get they are the nemesis of any serious <laughs> yeshiva buffer. And I can tell you that the intense, crazy internship hours that they had, at least in the days of my internships, were very harmful, not only to the patients that we were taking care of in emergency rooms, okay, but also to ourselves, that we could not think things through clearly. So, so why is it that way? I've talked to you about this before. And of course, I have relatives that are in the nursing field. Um, it is a very strange system that still continues today where, you know, you, 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 like you're three days totally on and then they, they, you flop for two days and then you come back. That's pretty standard practice for interns and nurses. Why is it? It used to be for pilots as well, by the way, pilots as well had this kind of sugar in the sketch. Where does it come from? I think you have to go to Marx for this as a way of, um, trying to capitalize on the uh, cheap labor. Boy, of Marx and Freud in the same program. This is quite a uh, accomplishment. <laughs> they were related. They're both good Jews. Of the past, <laughs> you know, kind of but no, the point is that I, I, I don't think that it has to, anybody says that if we really strain uh, an academic or a, a mental health professional or a medical professional, that we get something much better than otherwise. I, I can't see it. That's not a formula at all. I I used to hear that the reason why the interns uh, in their first couple of years and of residency, maybe I'm getting the the terms incorrect, it was almost like a crucible that they had to survive. It was almost like... I think that's a post hoc theory. It's a rationale saying, why are we taking these people and 
grinding them down to the point that they barely function and make loads of malpractice mistakes. So the rationale is, oh yeah, right. It, it's almost, we have to make them pass this hurdle. Otherwise they're not truly devoted. Let them go off and be computer programmers. I, I don't think that's real at all. There isn't a real rationale for this other than economics. You know, there aren't enough people. And think of it, you staff, basically the main professor gets his sleep, gets his golf in, gets his um, vacations in, and these guys work like dogs. I mean, it's a very, very, by the way, tempting when you get to the other side of being a professor, which I was for many years, very tempting to abuse your uh, graduate students down to nothingness, and you get the publications and the credits, and they know this is what I have to do in order to and pass. It, and it might be built on the frustration you still carry for what you had to go through when yeah. you were a resident. <laughs> Hopefully right? I didn't take it out on others, but sure, I'm still angry about it. So, and again, it seems to be something where it goes counter to science and Seichel. Uh, and yet, those are the people that we are relying on in the middle of the night to save our lives, right? Yes, but, something... but you're better off going to them than going to a uh, reflexologist or to a voodoo <laughs> doctor or to an acupuncture guy. Much better off with all the deficits. Yeah, I can see that. I can see that. <laughs> You know, before we get, you know, finish off today, talking again about Shavuos was where we started. Um, I, these uh, ideas and, and, and impressions and, I guess, truths from your perspective that you are sharing with us, um, would you say that your colleagues in your field are pretty much in line with you? Or I would say they're pretty much not in line. Hmm. I would say that this is, I'm a holdover to the analytic way of understanding what happens to us in daily life, especially when things deviate from the normal or when, when they strain the limits. Um, the, the psychiatric field today and the medical field today tends to see things much more at the physiological level. They don't see the symbolism or the function so much of things that are happening rather than as being artifacts of somatic or metabolic processes. So I would say most people would stick to the first approach, the A approach, which I put to the side saying that's not my expertise. That's where the medical field is going these days, not to see things as repercussions of thoughts or ideas we want to repress that we want to go back to rather than certain kinds of disturbances in physiology and being able to metabolize properly and so and so. I if you want to have a percentage, I would probably put it about at these days having hit perhaps 60 or 65 percent of where the field is at now. And it's going to get worse from my perspective or better from their perspective. It's going to encroach to the point that psychodynamic ideas are no longer seen as relevant. Not necessarily that the Nazi is correct. They're saying it's correct, but it can be so easily taken care of with the proper medication or the proper dosage or the proper minerals or intake that who cares? It's, it's almost irrelevant. So, okay? so, so dream analysis, dream analysis, uh, although you feel you are still is a it, practitioner, it, you're yes, going to be the last time, of the... Sh- it's because it's going to get shelved together with metallurgy and with <laughs> philosophy And with theology, unfortunately, it's all going to get shelved away. And what's going to be left is, you know, proper medication, proper regimens, diet, things like that. Yes, that's where it's going. That's not to say that it's not true. But it's (laughs) it's marginalized because there's such much easier. I'll I'll give you an example. If I have a family member who gets depressed, I'll put him on antidepressants. I don't think it's coming from there. It's coming from somewhere. But who cares? Who cares? If you fall and you injure yourself, you don't have to analyze how it happened. If you can just put a cast on the guy and finish, his foot will be fine. That's where it's going. It's a practical science. A lot of it, unfortunately, is is um, 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 pushed by managed healthcare, saying we want to get this done as expeditiously as possible. We don't want to understand. We want to fix the problem. And it's called fixed if it functionally doesn't interfere with us. So yes, you can rest assured that I am a minority these days. The view I'm presenting is a minority in terms of relevance. I'm just going to make you feel worse for a minute and say that it it isn't going to be shelved as something that is true, but insignificant because we've dealt with it in other ways. My feeling is, and again, is that it's going to be uh, it's going to be not with metallurgy. It's going metal our metallurgy. I think it's going to metallurgy. be more, metallurgy. I think it's going to be more like um, what is that where, where they look at the bumps on your head? What is that called? Burnout. 
Right. I think it's going to be more in that area. I think people are going to say, especially when yeah. they look at Freud's works about what symbols mean, I think they're going to say, hmm, you know, you know that's, what, that's what a banana means. That's what a watch means. That's what a, uh, an orange means. I think they're going to sort of, I think it's going to be laughed at. And, and, and from your perspective, that's a mistake, right? Yes, a mistake, but I'll, I'll laugh with them. Look, I can tell you, when I had to take my comps, I had to know all the citations in the Journal of Psychosomatic Medicine. Right. Nobody believes it anymore. Nobody thinks an ulcer is due to stress. Nobody thinks that hypertension is due to psychological tension. And yet, I can tell you the exact theories of exactly why you get boils in certain places, why you get hives, why you get heart attacks. It's, it's baloney. Yes, I know that some things have misshelved, not where they are, but in the shell of some kind of ancient... Uh, Craziness. Shamanism. You know, like, well, yes. Yeah, well, but but they'll, be wrong, they'll be wrong, of course, but that's fine. Now, yeah, both of us have talked also as we've aged uh, together um, about the effect of medication that we're now taking for whatever purpose. Um, that obviously has a big effect on, on dreams and sleep as well. I know, that sure. I, th- I know that I've been taking for the last, I guess, five or six years um, something for prostate and it knocks me out. I mean, I'm not, I, you know, and, and you know as well as I do that I keep pretty late hours because we many times converse uh, despite the time lag difference between us. And, and I would assume that that also is, is taking a large effect. As people age, the medication can somehow, you know, generate sleep when it perhaps shouldn't and, 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 and perhaps create deeper or more intense uh, dreams and sleep that maybe wouldn't happen if it wouldn't be for the medication. Isn't that, isn't that possible? I mean, basically what you're saying is that the mind-body intersection problem is here to stay. It's just going to different levels. In the olden days, the question was, you know, are we basically animals or are we people with souls? And it, it's, it just moves off to different terms. But the mind-body problem ain't going nowhere until psychiatry decides there is no mind. But I guess what I'm trying to say is even something like I, uh, that I'm owning up to, you know, being older and having prostate issues and therefore being, uh, I'm not the, it, it might be one of the mo- most prescribed medications is Flomax. I think that's what it is. Many, many people take it and it does have an effect of, 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 I know when I take my two pills, I can, you know, I, I'm okay for about, about 90 minutes. After that, I'm not in the same mental, I don't have the same mental acuity. So I sure. think, that, so I think that that you know I think we have to throw that into the mix too. As you know, you talk about medication that's there for uh, for what we would call you know hysteria issues or mental issues or anxiety issues. There's also medication for physical issues, which I think also are are are, are playing havoc with that. As well, well, the truth is that almost all medications that you so you call them physical issues have psychological side effects and all psychological medications have physical side effects and whether you call something a main effect or a side effect is based on your language in other words the drug doesn't come out of the lab with a certain label on it that's natural it's the label of the manufacturer who decides to um, market it and that has effect so what you call something many things that we make do prescriptions are off label basically meaning we're prescribing it for the side effects, so to speak. <laughs> many are. Right. So, yes, what you're, what you're saying is just that everything has side effects and that the, it's just noteworthy that the side effects cross the mind-body line, so to speak. It comes from, it includes the psycho. Everyone has, almost every medication has psychological and physiological effects. And that's something that the psychiatrists these days, those 60%, like to hang their hat saying, because it's the same thing, stupid, right? It's the same issue. It's two sides of the same coin and forget about the psychological because those, those are artifacts, so to speak. So, but so we let, turn it around also. So, so, so if we refer, let's, ref, you know, since let's come from our perspective first, a person who's already older who doesn't have those energies they had when they were young. And um, do you, would you prescribe, would you say that they should be careful about pushing themselves for a shvuas night mishmark? Hey, you know what? We know that you're, you're, you've gotten used to your six hours, seven hours, whatever it is. It might be somewhat of a restless sleep, but still, do you see a benefit in this one time a year um, uh, doing this all nighter? Despite the fact that you know you, you're not going to be processing things at the highest level, and I have seen 
because uh, I have been the presenter. <laughs> so I don't know which is worse, you know, being a zombie and like walking into all these different classes or, or, or shiurim or, or being the person who had to do the graveyard shift, so to speak, and teach and try to get people interested. And you see people nodding off and you see people basically in glazed eyes. Um, do you see a, a, an advantage to this? I mean, I, I, I happen to think it's ridiculous, as you would say. Uh, I think it's, 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 it's really uncalled for, even though it has a provenance in the Zohar and other places. Do you see some sort of benefit in this, um, in the mishmar of Shuas, especially for yes, older people? Yes, I do. Yes, I do. I see it as a way of doing your best to connect to an ideal. And even if you don't get there, the feeling is that you're still alive. You're not dead yet. And yes, there is this ideal. And young people also suffer when they're up all night. And young people suffer when they get drunk on Purim. And they say they should get drunk on Purim if they know how to keep it to one night or so. It gives you a connection with something that's kind of bigger than you, even if it's on the wrong side of the fence. And I think there's something to an older person who has stomach problems to gorge out at a smorgasbord every (laughs) now. Yes. And to watch some horror movies or oh, whatever it is people engage in interpersonally that's considered seamy. It's a good idea every now and then. It keeps you, shall we say, alive by keeping you connected to the larger order of things. Yes, there's something about being a tzaddik. I'm not really a tzaddik. I, you know, sometimes give a major donation, which is totally uncalled for based on my economics. I feel good for a moment, you know, saying, wow, I did this. I went all out. But no, if I lived that way all the way, I would be on welfare in a month. I can't do that. But so, yes, being up one night saying, I'm going to do it, I'm going to be dead tired, it'll take me three days to recover, think of it. Look, going to see my kids in America, I'm going to have jet lag, I'm going to suffer for a couple of days. It's worth it. Would I want to do it every week like, like my son who commutes? No, I don't have the body for that anymore. But I wouldn't say that it makes sense that, that I sconce myself in your shall I am never see my kids in America? No, it's worth it. Same way here. Yes, one night of shows, I'm doing this. I know my mind is going to function at half rate, a quarter rate, but look at this. I attended four and a half. Show. I don't remember what they were anymore, but I went to four shows. You probably didn't even remember what they were when it was going on either. Right. And I went and I dabbed at Nate's. I have no idea what I dabbed Musaf or Neila. I dabbed at Nate's, you know, and I made Kiddush just when it was done. And then I slept for seven hours. Okay. It's a Chavaya. It's, it's something to do. And also, I would say from a um, values point of view, you're connecting to people. Many people are doing this at the same time. It's almost like as good as going to Uman. Yeah, you know, it's, it's an experience. I don't think it's a bad thing to do that occasionally. And maybe it's even it's good for the body. I don't know. The, the, the Muslim sheet that says that Ramadan does loads of, you know, uh, loads of good for equalizing your body and getting it in touch with your regular cycle. I don't know the mumbo jumbo so well. But yes, I would say nothing that you do occasionally like that is really going to hurt you. And I think it has a chance of actually calibrating you and connecting you to something bigger than you are. I mean, that's the philosopher in me coming up. But I wouldn't say no, never have a drink. I mean, an adult who has like a, issues with depression, never have a drink. Eh, eh, you can have it, you know, so long as they don't do it every day. You, totally, you don't decide to go to Kiddush every day. Fine, but do it once, once a month for a Shredish. Eh, it's okay. The Kiddush club can have it. Again, I, and I consider it, you know, as much as I, uh, uh, you know, believe that it comes from such a hallowed place, and it comes from a place where people, like you say, gifted like the Vilnagon and others, uh, who were able to to do that and really uh, have this intense, incredible moments, learning that night. I think the having it in mass, I, I, I think we needed. I think Shuas needs a different identity because to me that identity although you're saying is right, is strange and, and, and unusual, I don't think that's what, um, I don't think that's what God wanted uh, when he wanted this holiday celebrated. Um, and therefore, you know, to me, um, you know, I think especially in Israel, in Eretz Yisrael, where, as you say, you wake up, it's over, right? If a person does this all-nighter, goes home, eats, plops into bed about 8, 30, 9 o'clock, is probably not going to be up until 3, 30, right. 4, 35, and then by the time he gets Abdullah, the cobwebs, time. Time. that's right. The cobwebs are out of his head. It's finished. Maybe they could. I know there used to be a thing of getting going to the coso, um, right? You know, as Shavuos was ending, and people would would make their way to the coso, but right. sort of like sleepwalkers, you know, still not really getting it. Yeah. To me, I, you know, to me, I, I think it needs a, a, a whole new rethinking, especially since if the idea is really about 
and again, pardon for me stepping on the soapbox for a second, if the idea is really about studying Torah, if it's really about loving Torah, there is a way to structure the day that you can get a lot more Torah learning done with your mind working in the best possible way. You know, again, one of the reasons, you know, I'll, I'll just quote you something from the Chazanish. I mentioned him before. You know, the Chazanish did not make uh, siyumim uh, like his nephew. You know, his nephew, of course, was is, makes siyumim all the time. In fact, it was famous that one time he woke up uh, a couple of years ago, he woke up and he told his grandson, get me a bottle of wine. I finished Masechtas Brachas in my dreams. And uh, they actually made a seum of something that was in his cholam. So they asked Rav Steinman, and we really miss Rav Steinman a lot. I don't know if you ever were zocha to hear from him or read his ideas, but Rav Steinman was a very, very even-keeled person. And they asked Rav Steinman, what, you know, we know the Chazanish, Rav Bergman and others who were in Panovich said that, uh, that the Chazanish was very much against making seum. You know, he would, there was a fellow, I think Bergman himself had finished Ksuvis, and he wanted to make a siyum, and he invited the uh, Chazanish. And the Chazanish said, okay, do you remember all the mumim on, on that daf? And he said, why don't you list those mumim for me and tell me? Then you, you, you can make a siyum. Meaning, the, the Chazanish felt that, as Rav Steinman said, that you need, you, how do you learn? What is your level of learning? What is your level? Just davening it up is, for you, doesn't qualify. A seum should be in line to what your mental state is and your ability, your sophistication. And the Chazanish felt just, you know, taking the Gemara out and doing the reading, sort of what many people are going to be doing in Dafyomi, really doesn't even qualify. A person needs to know who they are and what they're about. And, um, and therefore, the learning should be in tune with the quality of mind of that person. I know you, Sam, that, that when you are going to sit down and do your uh, analysis, not this little podcast, which you can just you know, take out of your pocket, but when you're going to write a, a paper or do something you think is definitive and important, it's going to come with a lot of brain work, a lot of research, a lot of analysis and thinking exactly how it's going to be written. Learning should be that way too. And the day of Shavuos can be dedicated that way, but not when it gets turned into a carnival or a marathon atmosphere. I think, as the Rambam says, you could start Shavuos early, learn a couple of hours before, go home and eat, come back and learn till, for an hour and a half, till 12 or 1, sleep for about six good six hours, get up early, uh, have a Seder before davening from 7 to 8, 8, whatever it is, have your davening. After davening, a little kiddish, and then learn for another hour and a half. Go home, um, have your meal, come back instead of after the meal. I've already, even what I've just described there, is many more hours of learning than what people usually get from davening vasikin in, 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 a, in a regular shuvah's night. And they've gotten it in a normal, healthy way. And they could say, you know what? I learned a heck of a lot this shuvah's, more than I usually do on a regular yontif. And I am dancing with God because what I did was actually on, on a level that's matim to me, the type of level I can make a siyam on. I'll, I'll give you another example. Uh, one of the interesting piskei alocha of, you know, they talk about the, um, the um, you know, the question about, uh, of of learning on Tishabov, for example, or learning when you're in Ovel. So the question is, how what are you allowed to do? So we know on Tishabov, or when you're in Ovel, you can learn passages from the Talmud that are depressing or that deal with depressing subjects or difficult subjects. So they asked once again, they asked Rosh Hashanah and the Chazanish as well. Well, when I learn it. How am I supposed to learn it? Because there was an opinion that said, you just have to read it as if you're reading the Manhattan telephone book. And the Chazanish supposedly said that, no, if you're allowed to learn it, you learn it. And if the way you learn is with analysis, if that's the way that you, then of course, then you're allowed to learn it in depth. Meaning a person shouldn't necessarily put on a dunce app. If you know who you are, stay where you are. And if you are a person who has the ability to, to study in a sophisticated way, do it that way. Don't, you know, you know, don't decide to do a stunt, but stay in that, in wherever you are. And I think that, that I think should be true for everyone, wherever they're at. That's why Shuis is so hard. You know, I, I, again, I know I'm on a soapbox here, but I think what you're talking about makes Shuis an easy, uh, like, it's like, you remember those people, uh, 
remember when we were, when you lived in New York, they would always report on the polar bear uh, club that would go January 1st in the morning down to Coney Island, whatever it was, and jump into the water. Yay, look what we did. Okay, we're the polar bear club. That's what I think it, it gets turned into. As opposed, and, and you know what? Oh, we did it. And they come out, and you're right, they come out of the water. I don't know, Sam. For me, I'm too close to this subject to allow the bastardization of, of the day to happen. And, and I'm, you know, I would, I would think that me and your brother and I, I think, are probably on the same page as far as this goes. Although I'm not sure, <laughs> but that, that, that's what my, that's what I'm saying. Again, you can react to this if you want. I know I've, I've, I've gone off here for longer than I should, but I'd like to get at least your impression before we wrap up. Okay, I totally agree with you, but I have to say that it also jiggles some bad thoughts that many of us should have about this Dafyomi phenomenon. Because many of us who generally, when we study Talbot, are doing it with uh, our brains intact. But you know, when we get to Dafyomi, the idea is that I have to just go through this almost like a chant to be sure I do my page a day. And sometimes it's a, it's a farce. It's a farce. And I, I'd say we can take your, your pulpit uh, that you just... Uh, sat on or stood on against this as well that's saying what are you doing you're not doing anybody a favor uh, by just uh, going through this stuff and half understanding and you know if and it's not your level you have the capacity to understand what you're saying rather than just saying all these words that become like a jumble before they even leave your mouth so yeah yeah i know i i understand you (laughs) And, and, and you know it adds to what i think is the ultimate artifice of and we talked about Marone and other things like that, where we dress up and, and 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 like you say, like you dress your dream up, we've dressed up so much of the of, of, of our ritual deep life with yeah. ancillary aspects which which are really cheapen and ruin it. And I think that yeah. that's to, to me, that's one of the that, I think that's one of the challenges. Anyway, I, I I'm not gonna now I can't even ask you if you're staying up the shrewest night. <laughs> I, I, I have so, I, so I, I, you can tell me off camera, so to speak, what you're planning on doing, but I don't. It all, it all depends on the snacks they offer between each leg. <laughs> I, I know the one lady here that makes excellent cheesecake. When she offers, I have to stay up until her cheesecake. That's for sure. Beyond that, I don't know. Okay, well, look, well pleasant like everybody else well we'll, we'll catch you after Yontif. pleasant dreams to everyone out there and hopefully the regressions that you do should regress you to a good place take care everyone be well have a good Yontif. take care thanks for joining us for another episode from the yeshiva of newark at idt podcast be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a single episode 